<laughs> Welcome to One of Two Hundred, the New Zealand international politics, media, uh, environmental, left-wing podcast. Uh, I'm joined by three co-hosts, luckily, because I'm clearly incoherent this morning. Uh, welcome, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Um, I'm joined by Mark Rickaby. How's it going, Mark? Uh, it's good. Kia ora kato, everyone. Justine Sachs. Kia ora. Nice to be back. And Branko Machetich. How's it going, Branko? Kia ora. Uh, good. Good. How's everyone over there? Back on. You know, it's fine. Cost of living. Uh, petrol prices at the pump. Um, you're feeling it, Kyle? Not really. <laughs> no. I'm, well, I mean, you are part of the the the, the left wing elite uh, uh, cabal. Uh, yeah. Oat, but... oat milk, soybean latte, <laughs> walking pedestrianized cabal. You know. Like, yeah, yeah, precisely. Professional manager class email uh... job holder. <laughs> yeah, you got it. You got it. I mean, you've you've nailed me to the wall. Um, yeah. Don't don't need to buy petrol because I only walk on my hands and knees. Yeah. Um, to lick the boots of my leftist overlords. With your keep cup firmly affixed to your... <laughs> to my elbow. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's all good. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff to, to cover today, uh, but let's start with a lighter note. <laughs> Christ, Christopher Luxon uh, doing photo ops in the McDonald's that he worked in as a teenager uh, where he joined their... What do you call it? Um, the work line, um, hamburger university assembly, assembly line, <laughs> yeah. To That's make, literally what they called it in the 90s. Um, I worked at McDonald's in the 90s myself, say, as a teen, uh, at Cobham Court McDonald's in Porirua. Oh, shit. during the Shipley benefit destruction. Era. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well, we need one of 200 needs to um have an event with you mark back at your mcdonald's um where we (laughs) (laughs) serve the good people of Wairua. um yeah yeah um so what a what a like um cringe display of like um an out of touch oligarch oligarch is that a right word i don't know who cares let's just call him that um (laughs) trying to prove that he understands or is in touch with working people um you know when he worked at mcdonald's i'm pretty sure that he was at the time in a a private schooled uh in a private school um comes from a pretty wealthy family so it's a very brief little tenure that he did at mcdonald's in high school so i think uh it's important to note that kind of thing you know does it mean he's working class, though? That's a real question we need to get to the bottom of. No, he's not. Okay, yeah, that was pretty easy. Yeah, no. that was quick. Quick response yeah. there. Let's get, sorry, let's just get right to the bottom of that. No, he's not. Union rep says no. Um, I've, I'm the I'm the working class decider, so I'm the one who you take, put me next to a person, and then I tell you whether they win. Yeah, yeah, case closed. But it was, it was a really weird little media event. Um, you had basically... Every major outlet on the day was just running these um, kind of galleries of Christopher Luxon working at McDonald's with a little like one and a half minute video of him 
uh, at the drive-through saying, "Can I take your order?" This is Chris Luxon, <laughs> which is the fact incredible. that he said that is so cringe. Like it's just incredible. Um, but is he trying to? Is it? Is this like media training? Is he trying to sort of practice doing the John Key thing, or is it a response to the Antarctica trip? Do you think? I don't. I don't know. I. It was so. It seems so coordinated. Like. It was pushed to all media so quickly, and it was so, it, yeah. It just seemed like it seemed like a PR stunt. I, I, I wouldn't call it training. Like I, I think it was just trying trying to make him more like an everyman. I think I've done some polling. Um, we've got the elections probably about twelve months away. We've done some polling that said people kind of maybe think you're out of touch. We've seen that happen in the UK um, with the rich uh, prime ministerial prime ministerial prospects over there. Um, let's try and help people to understand you are in touch. Um, one of the, no, the most embarrassing thing about the video, um, for those who haven't watched it, is he's got this uh, supervisor hanging over his shoulder. I don't, it doesn't seem like it's the manager of the McDonald's. It's like the guy's been brought in to handle Christopher Luxon. And Luxon will do something like put sauce on the burger bun and this guy will be like, perfect, that's perfect. Every single time. And he says this about six or seven times during the course of this a minute and a half video. And it's just a... It's... It was a struggle to watch to the end. Well, he speaks to the very fragile mental state of the uh, New Zealand bourgeoisie. I think we should extrapolate um, quite a bit <laughs> from that, actually. No. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's the kind of bumbling, kind of everyman, kind of relatable millionaire that John Key also sort of tried to... It's this, it's a key... It's straight out of the Key playbook, right? Um, I mean, we all remember the kind of fo photo ops, and, and I, all politicians do it. I think this particularly was egregious in, in a couple of ways. One that, you know, it was literally the day after national voted down, um, the fair pay agreement legislation, which would give the workers at McDonald's where Luxon was, you know, doing this photo op fair and decent wages. So it was really good to see, um, Xavier Walsh, who's the president of Unite Union, like being um, actually given a sort of slot there on the news to say like, well, you know, all well and good, your little stunt, but um, these are the workers that we're trying to get decent wages for through the fair pay agreement legislation. So that was kind of, I, I, I sort of, um, yeah, that was good that that was there. And I hope, I hope that we've moved on a little bit from the keys and we kind of can see that for what it is, but I mean, we'll see. Well, he is no John Key. It's, it is so much more forced than, than Key. Key just seemed to do this stuff all the time. People got used to it, I guess. But um, but Luxon just he never quite comes across in that in that same way that Key did. So it's just I think it's it's that's why I was wondering about whether it was like he's trying to practice, he's trying to really build up this key thing. You can see there's just this desperation to have another key. There's just this probably like almost a strategic flaw of that entire national structure at the moment that they just have no other vision except to go back to when they were winning you know with John Key um, and they've been trying and trying so hard um, and this is it's maybe um, yeah it's just an egregious example of like how how they try to do it in this really weird forced blatant way um, just... I don't think Key would have gone to McDonald's either like this no this feels far more stage he, he, he'll go into a barbecue right like he'll do stuff which is which anyone could do 
um, you know, if it just rocked up. But you have to go and organize with the McDonald's to get like, and like put yourself into one of the slots and kick out one of their workers yeah. on their casual contract so that you can take their hours. Um, yeah, it's yeah. and it was just so odd to see because even some of the um, PR footage released, you can see multiple cameras to get the different angles. And yeah, it's just it's content, awkward. right? It's just content. Yeah, and it's just like that's that was why the um, the TVNZ political editor was remarking like we're we're encouraging Christopher to do more of these photo ops um, because so, it's just like free free content for them. Yeah, so this is one of the other big questions that kind of came out of it, like as an adjunct um, piece of, I don't know if political point scoring is the right word, but um, half half outrage, um, half good points, um, calling Jessica Much McKay, uh, who's the um, presenter who who said this, um, like a National Party advisor, um, which I, I think isn't true, but is still... I mean, it played the same purpose, right? Like, that's maybe where the partisan filter is is not cynical enough about how the media works. <laughs> yeah, I like because, like you said, it was about they, they just want more stuff. They just give give us more of this this crazy stuff. Give give us more cringe. Uh, give us more PR things that we can look at and we can just slap on a screen and say, "Look, they're doing a thing." Um, did they succeed or did they not? Um, are they relatable or are they not? Um, as opposed to, you know, analyzing perhaps why uh, he was doing this um, or what need the National uh, Party has for a leader uh, to present as an everyman, um, which I think are very important questions given, you know, not only the state of the National Party itself um, and you know, Justine, you mentioned the um, vote against the, the fair pay agreements. Um, but the state of New Zealand, the New Zealand economy um, and, you know, cost of living stuff, how do they ensure that Luxon is able to resonate with people? Um, and I, I don't think that this kind of stuff will stick unless they get a lot smarter about it. They've got um, so, I mean, they've been able to raise so much money um, for the upcoming election. election oh, just from, just from like workers, just $20 donations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Just grassroots sort of, um, you know, if it's there. But, um, you know, I think um, we have to prepare ourselves that uh, National and Ant will control the airwaves. Like they will be um, completely um, dominating that. I mean, they've, they've really got a war chest um, for the upcoming election. And I think yeah. they... Yeah, um, and I think it's going to be a t it's really going to be tough because Labour will just Labour no one will be able to match that. Um, so I think it's going to the way this is going to unfold is going to be very interesting. Um, it's very lopsided, obviously, but yeah, they've got like millions and millions. I think it's like something like thirty million dollars. Yeah, and it doesn't help that money. you know National now getting this free media as well. Um, and I think that's probably to me the most disturbing thing about chief political reporters uh, asking the National Party or whoever to create more of this stuff is that the national act parties are going to have a lot more of a budget to be doing that. Uh, and our political journalists are basically saying, we'll run this stuff for free. This is free media. Uh, and we know that that kind of uh, advertising can be a lot more impactful 
than you know robocalls uh, or billboards uh, and whatever else they decide to spend the money on because it's coming from a presumably nonpartisan source. Uh, and without the critique and analysis laid over the top of it, uh, without you know the journalists actually holding this stuff to account, it just plays its purpose as political PR. Did it reach you over there, Branko? Did you see outrage in the American papers? Uh, I mean, no. Like it's just a dumb piece of uh, uh, yeah PR stuff. I mean, I I, I thought I just thought it was amusing, but um, what what was particularly kind of telling to me was when uh, Luxon said, uh, I think he said, you know, I, I've spent. I mean, I don't know how long it was there. What, like an hour, a couple of hours. We said I've gotten some good training and I've learned some things. And you know, this is what this is what work is all about. It's about you know. Uh, uh, basically, getting on the ladder to 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 you know get a bit of job, but the reality is actually it's not what work is about. Work is about making enough money to to afford to live. It's and and for a lot of people, you know, I mean, sure, if you're a student worker, as as Luxon was, that was what why he went and did that. He was he was sort of showing his kind of working class roots, I guess. Um, if you're a student worker, you go to McDonald's. Yes, that's just a step up the ladder for you. But for a lot of people, it's working at McDonald's or other service and, and retail retail uh, work is not a step up the ladder. It, it is their job. It's not something that's going to lead them to uh, something better necessarily. It's something that they're doing so they can put food on the table. Um, to me, that was a kind of like an accidentally revealing little uh, part of the whole thing, which which has been unremarked. But yeah, I mean, the point of this is to to I think undo some of the damage uh, or undo some of the image that he has of um, being kind of an out of touch rich guy, uh, particularly as national, uh, you know, promising to to repeal the fair pay agreements, which obviously, as everyone's mentioned here, the workers at McDonald's that that uh, Lexan's working alongside uh, overwhelmingly support and would benefit from. Um, but maybe we should talk about those because that actually is uh for once for the first time in a long time hey an actual great accomplishment uh uh of course uh from from unions who pressured the government to do this but also by by the labor government um which is not a very common thing these days and in, in the entire world <laughs> no. well um you know there's a there's a story there as is like anything that you know like i think this is the the greatest if, if it sticks and i i think unfortunately like the timing is really bad because um there's not enough time to really entrench it before the election and if they lose the election i, I do think the national will act very quickly to to um uh remove it remove it i don't know repeal it repeal that's the word remove but, it. I mean, same thing repeal it um so you know but this is 30 years in the making um like it's it's a it's a pretty like a very very significant accomplishment it was amazing because we were um i was in the gallery watching the the bill uh we watched the the third reading and the votes and we were you know um it was you know union bureaucrats union leaders and union members um with their kids in the gallery um watching you know this really this life-changing piece of legislation pass um, through the house and um it was really it was really interesting because the union members couldn't help themselves like they were just like wanting to hoot and holler and, and clap <laughs> and and boo and like jeer uh when you know inappropriate times obviously um because uh like just firstly like some of the speeches by the labor mps and by the jan logie from uh were, were really really 
good. You know, you really felt like that 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 connection to the working class, those stories of their own upbringings. Like there was some, there was some lovely kind of. Um, yeah, some lovely things being shared. So we were people were clapping and being like, "Yeah, this is awesome!" And then obviously you had on national backside just the most disgusting, repellent, anti-working class rubbish. And there was jeering, and and the speaker of the house had to tell us three times, and they um, warned us that we'd been. <laughs> there was this part of the, you know the part where um, I think Adrian said to us, "You're not actually you're not part of this debate, and I'm not telling you again." that you're not part of this debate this is not for you um and um you know i think it was just like i, I to me it was i know that obviously these are the rules I mean, i'm not trying to think but it was just this amazing it was this amazing moment like just like i felt like the working class was like now nah, we're intruding on this moment this is our moment like and they just could like we couldn't we couldn't seem to help ourselves um we're making noise in parliament it was great it was a great moment anyways um there were lots of tears at the end when it actually got past him. The kids were excited. I just, it was actually very heartwarming. I don't know why. I just want to tell my story, first hand account of first. Hey, <laughs> it's important. It's important. <laughs> but yeah, it was actually really awesome. I just loved like, um, the, like just the intrusion on these, like, on, on the whole decorum and like, you know, rules and, and just the, the very, um, controlled kind of environment that parliament is. Um, and just the intrusion of that by by actual working people. Who, who just interesting, to, right? Yeah. Like you're you're getting called up for like some jeering from the cheap seats. Um, <laughs> but you, a lot of what you get from Question Time and the like is far more malicious. Uh, and and that type of behavior from the members themselves. Oh yeah. Like bring more people into the gallery. That's what I say. If if politicians can't be hooted and hollered at then they don't deserve to be in the job. Well, you know, I didn't realise the amount of jeering that went on during question time, just how intrusive it actually really is. Because, you know, they really, during Parliament TV, they really focus on the person speaking, so you kind of just hear that as background noise. But I just don't know how they think. Because, you know, the National MPs are quite amazing, actually, and just how amazingly they are able to just continually just shout and scream to try and disrupt the like thought flow of of other mps like i mean the things they were saying made no sense they were just like wah, wah. like i could i i i compared them to dogs like it was like barking dogs like it was crazy uh, i <laughs> anyways the, I, I was like wow that's a skill i guess uh, <laughs> these were these were the farming back these were some bitches, <laughs> yeah, some, from the yeah. Anyways, they get a better professing, you you don't even know, blah, blah, like just the constantly, like. Anyways, um, so uh, yeah, it didn't exactly. It, it certainly didn't endear. It wasn't an endearing spectacle. Uh, just watching. Uh, I don't mind jeering, and I don't mind like a bit of, like you know, uh, like a shouting match or a, like heated debate. But it was it made no. It was unintelligible garbage, and it just seemed like designed to. <laughs> disrupt like uh, like make people unable to think it was quite interesting anyways yeah i mean the, the hope is that uh uh basically when, when stuff like this gets passed and if it's broadly popular it's hard to get rid of um you know that, that and hopefully uh if national doesn't up winning the election um this will just be too considered too politically toxic to get rid of i could i could see them potentially they were talking about um certain parts of the bill getting uh 
repealed or kind of tinkering with it. So I think one thing they were particularly annoyed about was um, that there was a provision that forced employers to give to unions all the, the contact details of their employees so that they can you know, more easily get in touch with them and see if they want to join the union. Um, uh, you know, the, the, in Nationals words, this is, you know, way too much of a, an obligation on, on employers and, you know, people have way too much time and think. <laughs> yeah, it's supposedly, you know, employers have way too much things to do, way too little time. And so this is this is too much of an imposition on them to, to have to do this. So I could see them potentially, uh, if if they do start to attack this, you know, the 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 best hope may be that they kind of just go after this stuff and they they tinker with it, but they basically leave the fundamentals in place. We'll see. I mean, the best thing to to stop that from happening is for Labour to <laughs> win the election. Um, but to do that, they have to you know do things like deal with the cost of living crisis and not endlessly harp on about how much um, money they're saving uh, and 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 how much debt they're paying off. And that does not seem to be chasing chaining. So. We'll see. So what are your um, hopes for this, I guess, Justine, provided it's not immediately repealed? Uh, and I think the other thing to note is that Act have said, like it's a bottom line of theirs, that the next government with them in it will immediately repeal it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't really, I think um, both National and Act would be willing to take the political hit, hit regardless of how popular it is and repeal the law because um, it really is something that will um, redistribute sort of wealth to working people. It really will. Like, it, you know, um, it's going to impact profit margins. It's going to increase wages. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if they would be perfectly prepared to take the political hit regardless of how popular it is. Um, I think the issue, the the real issue really is that Labour five years to pass with legislation. Um, that's for a, a variety of reasons. Uh, I would say that, um, you know, Michael Wood has been, like, just done excellent work in pushing this um, in Cabinet and making sure, and, and really fighting for it and, and getting it across the line. I don't know if the previous minister was that... Um, was as uh, enthused about the legislation and as committed to to doing that, and I think there's, that can account for some of the delays. Just just saying, um, yeah. Like I, so I think like firstly, I just want to say like I think Michael Wood is genuinely like, um, like quite in terms of like within the Labour Party, a pretty decent like left kind of you know represents that de that a kind of left contingent of the Labour Party that does care about working people and does you know. Um, want to legislate in their interests so i think that's something to keep in mind certainly you know as we see whatever plays out um certainly in the post jacinda era of the labor party um but yeah the fact that it took five years is is why we're in the position we're in now because if if they passed it in their first term they were they they promised to pass it in the first hundred days um which possibly was a bit too ambitious um i think it would be yeah obviously it'd be far more entrenched at this point and much more difficult for 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 national uh, a national a national government to to repeal so um you know i think that's really unfortunate i think that's what um like people like henry cook have picked up on they kind of treat national winning as like a predetermined outcome which i you know i think that's just i don't know that 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 seems that's just demoralizing and stupid like obviously it's not a predetermined outcome um and we i think like the left does need i mean as, as much as as far as i'm concerned like the left does need to try and re-elect 
a progressive you know obviously we need to we need to put a lot into this election because it's important because the fair because that to me like the fair pay agreements are a priority and should be because they are actually transformative but um yeah i don't know what was the question <laughs> <laughs> what are your hopes oh my hopes okay cool i think you um, kind of covered it yeah um you know, I uh my so yeah, my hopes my hopes are though that there's a couple of fair pay agreements already in place um come election time and I'm sure there will be. Um with you know, with cute big uh groups of workers like bus drivers, etc. Um and I think once we see what that delivers for people, it will be broadly popular. Whether that stops national from appealing it I don't really know that it would. I think I think, you know, like during the Kias we saw that the National Party were perfectly comfortable doing things that were deeply unpopular. Um and spending political capital to you know to um advance their their aims and cause so i don't yeah i don't really feel confident that just because they're popular they won't be repealed i suppose but uh okay. this might be also a time to are we talking about inflation that, sure we can is that the well i mean i did see adrian always talking about um like uh, tanking the economy effectively so um it's, I think it is important to try to get people to understand what's going on with that because people are just screaming about inflation and it's like it's not a real number. It's a completely synthesized kind of teleological concept that is almost entirely constructed to create this sort of class war structure around. And so yeah. you can like laugh about Adrian or tanking the economy, but that's like literally what all of the central banks around the world are trying to do. Yeah, totally. And we can't talk well, I mean, about I, it. Like, do we? Well, I don't, do, do we want to? We, we've started the conversation. Out? Yeah, it's happening right now. We're doing it. Oh, we're, we're doing well, it right the, now. Did <laughs> the consumer price index come? When did? When was that released in New Zealand? Uh, a couple of weeks like, ago. Uh, a couple last of days week? ago. Yeah, I mean, yes, yeah, yeah. seven point two percent. So I guess the the key thing there to understand about what like to understand the numbers is to look at. When the all the um, oil price and energy price shocks are kind of um, become part of that ongoing state. So right now, the way that people are looking at those numbers in New Zealand is based on 2021. And in 2021, the what we we were not calling inflation at the time, but I mean, if you want to be kind of technical about it, it was inflation was house price inflation, a hyperinflation of house prices as a consequence of some of the policies around um, dealing with the Australian banks and mortgages and um, the massive injection of money into the COVID response, which went straight to kind of asset holders and the capital owning class. Um, but now we, we're getting to a state um, where we're going to start seeing the comparison of these consumer price indexes between um, like what's happening now and when the energy price spikes with the war in Ukraine are kind of priced in. And so with the, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out where the, basically these massive increases might start to flatten out and it's just going to be like, well, energy prices are really high. Uh, we haven't dealt with this housing thing, but I guess the thing that gets me about this whole, the presentation of this whole issue is how energy costs and housing and construction materials and supermarket costs, they're all driven by different forces. Um, but when it's framed as like one thing, and when we have this sort of central bank policy basically designed to, to redistribute from workers to the capital owning class, 
Um, it's just sort of hammering home these points. Uh, and we don't seem to be able to get across this decent conversation about, about what's happening. Um, it feels like this, we are in a quite a bad state because we can't, if we can't actually look at what's happening and look at, especially with oil and with energy and these questions around resilience um, in the New Zealand economy, and it's like we're just flying along, just kind of cruising along um, and not actually paying attention to these things which are getting structurally worse. So I, I don't know where that's going to go, but I think what I see the uh, um, Reserve Bank doing is basically following along with the other Western central banks. So just to give people some background, um, I have no idea how this is going to be edited. Or <laughs> but <laughs> but um, for the Reserve Bank, because the Reserve Bank has basically, like every central bank, has only a couple of tools that they have to actually deal with what's going on. One of their main tools is is raising or lowering interest rates. So for them... I mean, it's the it's the classic proverb that if if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I mean, if all you have basically is uh, raising or lowering interest rates, then every problem, uh, uh, you know, when it comes to, to 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 prices, price rises, it's a problem of consumer spending. Um, for the, the the Reserve Bank, what they and and this is as you say, uh, Mark, as it is everywhere. Uh, in the world, in, in every Western country's uh, central bank, the the problem is seen as one of too much spending. The 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 stimulus that came out of the the COVID response um, put too much money into people's pockets. They spent all that money. Um, it it made prices go up, and it also uh, because of some of the various um, disruptions that happened, uh, these labor shortages and the like uh, gave workers more bargaining power that they were able to to, to disruptions like mass death, with, um, mass. Right, right, and so that's 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 their interpretation. But also, as as Mark is saying, I mean, and as everyone should know, everyone listening to this podcast, I think by now, but also just anyone who's just observing the world, um, that is one minor part of the story of inflation. The the bigger causes a the ongoing supply chain disruptions uh, that have sent uh, prices going crazy basically everywhere again this is not a new zealand specific thing this is everywhere and then number two the war in ukraine which is causing food shortages which is causing the price of fuel to go up which makes everything else go up because it, you need fuel to transport things uh, so you can buy them from the stores uh so the central bank cannot end the war in ukraine uh it cannot fix broken supply chains all it can do is make borrowing more expensive for businesses uh, and make owning a home and various having various other debts more expensive uh, for ordinary consumers in the hopes that people will get fired, they'll have less money to pay, uh, to, to, to spend into the economy, and then therefore that will bring down prices. That's their thinking. As, as even the Federal Reserve governor in the US admitted in a congressional hearing, he was asked point blank, is this it's this these interest rate rises that that you're going to now embark on are they actually going to bring down food and fuel prices and he said no they're not going to have an effect on that so what he's basically saying is the 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 main drivers of inflation in the US but it applies just as much here in New Zealand are going to be completely unaffected by this what's going to happen instead and this is what Adrian Orr was saying uh is that the unemployment rate is going to rise from at least they hope it's going to rise 
from three point something percent to uh, to five percent, which means you know thousands upon thousands of people losing their jobs. Um, that's that's what they hope the, 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 that's what their plan is to stop inflation from from continuing to rise. The the trouble is again, if the war in Ukraine is still going, if these supply chains are still screwed up, then what you end up getting uh, uh, at the end of this is uh, something worse than inflation, which is stagflation. You have a bunch of people losing their jobs, and also, by the way, everything's still really expensive because the problems that were causing this stuff to be so so pricey have not been done. So. Yeah, I mean, as Mark is saying, we're, we're look. We're number one, not having a conversation in any of these countries about what exactly is causing this, and then number two, we're just sleepwalking into complete uh, disaster. Because um, I mean, you know, th this is a that would be a much worse outcome than. than well, I think one of the upsides is that it, if we lay off enough people, we provide like a perfect um, electoral base for nascent fascism. Um, which as <laughs> rabid red browns, um, we should always be happy for. But this is a thing, right? And yeah, we could, I mean, we've seen is... this happen historically so many times. But you know, this is the irony of it's the not the central bank's about... responsibilities, Kyle. <laughs> yeah. This is the irony of the whole discussion around preserving democracy. There's all this panic around the world, completely justified, about how democracy is eroding, how people are losing faith in democracy. It is alarming. That is very, very, very scary. Um, but what are the causes that we're told uh, are leading to this? It's always misinformation and uh, fake news and you know, and so on and so forth. Um, no one ever thinks about the fact that it's the constant immiseration of people's living standards. Immiseration, by the way, that's being carried out by unelected bureaucrats. That That's part of the whole thing here. Central banks are supposed to have political independence. And what that means is they have absolutely no democratic oversight. We have no say over what they do. They just decide to do what they want. And if they want to throw thousands of people out of work, they get to do that. Um, no one thinks about the fact that, number one, A, this is undemocratic. And then number two... This is this is the thing that is causing people to lose faith in democracy, uh, not not necessarily you know just online misinformation. Um, and I wish that people in power thought about this stuff more, um, because if they actually want to preserve democracy, they have to listen to the people that are actually in a democracy. And those people are crying out for some help. They're certainly not crying out to to lose their jobs, so they have less money to to spend on groceries. I think the thing that we really need to put center here is what when you create a huge um group of unemployed you know labor and drive wages down even if you can't control the supply side issues if you can drive down your labor costs you can maintain you know some profit that would have otherwise been lost to the pressure you know on the other side of the labor shortages so i think what the you know from the capitalist classes perspective and i i speak about them as though they have regular meetings um because they do. Because they, they do. do. They do. But um, <laughs> you know, we we can't control what's the supply side issues. We can't control the war in well, war in Ukraine. But um, the pressure on the other side, which is driving driving labor costs up, which is this labor shortage, which we've also created, by the way, by um, you know, promoting mass infection and <laughs> death and disability. Well, we can control that because if we sink the economy and and you know, therefore, like structurally, basically adjust wages, at least that is a controllable kind of thing and i think that's that's what's driving a lot of a lot of this so you know um i think 
very important to keep like just important to keep that in mind like um in terms of the central bank's unaccountability though i think it was really interesting because I, I saw macron <laughs> um sort of pick a fight with his central bank the other day so i think there is going to be a little bit of political backlash but whether we're actually able to talk about the fundamentals which is the fact that these central banks are completely outside of politics and democratic accountability and are able to you know I don't know, like they control the world economy without any public input or any sort of um, oversight is um, is another story entirely. What's happening in New Zealand at the moment? I think there's this kind of kayfabe sort of scenario where you have kind of an agreement between the current government and the central bank. Um, and there have been some technocratic changes to that recently. So your matua, the putia, now has to take into account unemployment and climate change. And that's basically, that's where the K-Paper is because you've got the New Zealand Initiative and all the sort of agents of um, of that traditional neoliberal view, basically screeching at them saying, um, uh, climate change, uh, Tonga shouldn't be part of our central bank, rah, rah, rah. Um, and it's just, you know, it's just a kind of constructed discourse that makes really no sense because it's not like the central bank actually has any real <laughs> input into that side of the economy anyway. Um, but, you know, taking into account climate change and decision-making as kind of table stakes for any governance right now at this day and age. Um, so it's not it's not a big question or a big deal, but they they are, I think, the way that they're kind of lining that up is that that's another thing that I think is on the on the agenda for this supposedly, um, supposedly inevitable new government, um, which, I mean, I don't believe it's inevitable at all. I don't think the polls are showing that, but it's certainly been... Framed like that. Yeah. One other part point, of the um, yeah. One other point I just wanted to say <laughs> on this inflation thing. It's, it's been really interesting, kind of frustrating to me that the way that it's being conveyed in the, in the media is basically goes straight to the public relations department of ANZ. Um, and you know, and that's where the voices are sort of explaining and talking to the public on this. Um, what was their profit again? Two billion dollars first time yeah well that's that's the thing that's not being talked about here which is that i mean we've seen this all over the place which is yes inflation is happening for um all the factors that we have discussed but there's also a lot of companies all this discussion about inflation and they say well okay everyone's panicking about price rises and so maybe we can just add on you know 50 cents a buck who knows how much onto everything that we sell, um, pocket that profit, and no one will realize because prices are going up anyway. And that's a big part of it. I mean, we've talked on this on this podcast many times about how part of the other problem in New Zealand, and it's been a problem long before any of these this this most recent inflationary surge, um, was how bloody expensive food is. And a big part of that, as the Commerce Commission itself uh, said, is because <laughs> we. <laughs> Uh, the 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 control of 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 the the grocery industry here is is, is so concentrated. Uh, there's no competition, um, and we see that with the the amount of um, new uh, rich listers that have come out of yeah. uh, the supermarket uh, sector. So that you know the idea that we the only way that you can deal with this is by throwing a bunch of people out of work is ridiculous. But um, unless no one um, pushes back that that as, as you said mark that's that's what we're going to go and then probably what will happen is people say oh all this economic dislocation is happening because of all that big government spending uh that never actually happened yeah this um, is one that, of the most will be the narrative ridiculous arguments and you know the other side effect of 
businesses just adding profit profit margin is that they know they can just lump the current government with uh, that cost of living crisis. Like, and for whatever reason, um, and I'm not I'm not saying it's a conspiracy, yada yada, for any media listening to this. Um, this is just the way it happens to work. Um, and it just happens to serve certain interests, I'm sure. Um, but no one, like, or very few people in the political media uh, mentioned that. They're, they're happy to conflate inflation with cost of living without looking at the causes, um, without saying this is happening here and here, and this is why in these cases. There is a, there are some, like, extreme questions of... Uh, fairness um of manipulation um and of politics here which are actually you know interesting things to investigate as a political journalist um but i and i don't know if it's just expediency um and this kind of the sense of inevitability uh that our our political gallery seems to have around uh a right-wing ascendancy in, in new zealand politics um but yeah, they're just they're happy to say Labor's in crisis because of its cost of living crisis, uh, and it's somehow their fault. And I'm not sure. You know, there's a there's a failure failure by Labor to push back on that as well because you know they also adhere to some of these neoliberal frameworks around what they want to do with the economy. Um, they're happy for. The discussion to be had this way because it lets them do th- things that they believe in or that treasury tells them to believe in um but i would like to see this challenged a fair bit more by some of our other uh, electoral options um the greens uh the party maori um i'm surprised uh new zealand first uh isn't uh, being a bit louder about um, vested interests uh, in, in some of the monopoly areas. Uh, and then there's top as well, who are trying to kind of cut through um, on some of this stuff. There's a lot of space there to be making very specific, provable arguments with evidence around what's happening here. And it feels like no one really is. Totally. Yeah, I would, the last thing I would add to that is, uh, or at least for myself anyway, is, is uh, a great thing that, that some enterprising journalists could 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 look at is who does the reserve bank uh talk to um you know we, we've often talk about how new zealand's lobbying apparatus is very untransparent we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes um that's true in government i'm sure it's also true with the reserve bank i mean who who is speaking to to those people i, I doubt they're talking to you know, a McDonald's shift worker. I don't think that's happening. Um, maybe they should give Chris Flexen a call. Get someone uh, from <laughs> from the local magazine he was at to to give them a a, a ring and, and let them know. But I mean, you know, I think that's a that's another part of the story. That would be a really good use of uh, journalistic resources. I think. I think what we could probably do instead is wait till the leadership debates and then just ask them if they know how much cheese costs. Um, that's really the only way to tell. I think Labor's best bet of winning the election is. Um is framing it as like, well, we're going to look after you during the global, this re- upcoming recession, you know? And because uh, I think like the Nats kind of appeal to this aspiration of like, we're all going to be rich. <laughs> um, I think it's gone beyond that to this at this point to be more blatantly, everyone's in it for themselves. Um, if you have 
if you have more of what you've made, you can look after yourself and your family. We'll we'll stay out of the way. Yeah, totally. No, you're right. Um, I just think that's the only like kind of that's labor's best bet. You know, I agree. I, I think it's the caring, like we'll take. Yeah, I agree with that too. Yeah, I think you know. they need to really strongly differentiate that, um, because and just not because otherwise, if they don't, then it's just going to be about tax, right? Yeah. Regardless and, of, of the fact that New Zealand has quite low tax comparatively to a lot of other similar countries, that's and, just where it's going to slide to. Absolutely. And I don't think this is anything to do with actually labour at all. It's just, um, you know, where we fit in the global economy. But, you know, we have, we have, we are better off. Um, we're, you know, we're lucky in a, in a sense because we're looking at like the disastrous disaster in the UK, Europe, obviously being so impacted by the war in Ukraine and the energy crisis. Um, let's not even go touch, uh, you know, the United States with a 10 foot pole. Sorry, Bronco. Um, you know, um, Australia and New Zealand uh, are, you know, c comparatively getting off a, a little bit easier in terms of the, the real crunch here. So, um, I think I think that is is also will be a little bit helpful. I'm not sure how much, but especially like just looking at the fiasco that will literally the collapse of the United Kingdom um, <laughs> under the governance of the Tories. Um, I think you know I wonder how much that will help Labour. Yeah, we'll okay. see how Rishi does. Well, uh, while we're looking overseas, uh, maybe the other big uh, uh, foreign affairs story that that. Uh, relates to New Zealand this week is the uh, the the fear of uh, of Iran and how New Zealand should respond to uh, the Iranian government's repression of uh, of protesters um, who, uh, you know, completely uh, uh, what they're doing is very brave. Uh, uh, it's it's incredible to see people standing up and 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 facing the kind of violence and repression they are to to fight for really basic rights that we take for granted, I think, in, in this country and a lot of other Western countries. Um, uh, and that is inspiring. I, the thing that worries me is that uh, I think when some of this stuff happens, uh, our political leaders, um, there's always a race to see who can be the most kind of uh, tough and righteous without really thinking through the, 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 the consequences of, of their actions. I mean, you know, personally for me that I was quite surprised actually to see uh uh, uh Gauri's Garaman uh come out and and basically call for for further sanctions on Iran. Uh, I, I'll that... I'll correct this one because she actually came back to me on Twitter about it. Um to uh, say yeah. that there was a level of misreporting there. Um and that it wasn't they weren't calling for wider sanctions. They're calling for more targeted sanctions of Iranian uh, regime leaders. Right. Well, that's what she says. But but what she was calling for was the uh, was was to designate um, the 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 IRGC GC the the, the Revolutionary Guard um, a terrorist. She also did that. Which right, which is not targeted. Number one, that's a Trump policy. Very bizarre to see a green uh, uh, MP hopping on on a on a Trump policy that in the United States was very controversial and thought incredibly stupid because but whatever you think about what the IRGC does, the 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 um, the, the the country's military. So sanctioning a, a country's military is quite an extreme thing. Second of all, um, for instance, in the US, when they were put on a terrorist list, 
Um, what that amounted to effectively was a travel ban on Iranians because in Iran, um, uh, military service is compulsory. And so a lot of ordinary Iranians um, yes. happen to have been part of the Revolutionary Guard at one point, and now they're unable to travel. So, that, you know, this is a very good example of the way it's sometimes because of the pressures of politics, um, I think uh, politicians, their their mouths perhaps get a little bit ahead of their, their brains uh, on some of this stuff. I mean, you know, if we want to support Iran and the Iranian people rather than the Iranian state, number one, the sanctions which New Zealand has signed off on, you know, we're, we're part of this whole thing, um, have done indescribable damage. I mean, you know, what the Iranian regime is, is doing is is awful and horrendous, but uh, it, to some extent it pales in comparison with the, the chaos and suffering that Western sanctions have, have done around. Especially during COVID. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Shortages of medicine, shortages of all sorts of, of, of daily items um, that, that has just made life really difficult. And by the way, um, the fact that those sanctions went on um, and the fact that the Biden administration didn't, as as he had promised during the campaign, didn't just re-enter the Iran deal um, and instead has done this year and a half long, well, no, nearly two year long now dance of renegotiating it for no reason. Um, that That's what led the, the, there was a liberal reformist government in place in Iran, which was much better for the the Iranian people in terms of some of these basic freedoms um, that they're trying to protest for now. Uh, well, they, they lost power because the hardliners came in and they said, well, look, you told us if we did this deal, we're going to end up, we're going to see all these economic benefits. You said that we could trust the United States, you know, if it's not the Republicans in power, that we can deal with the Democrats. And it turns out, no, both parties are bent in our destruction. You're wrong. You haven't, succeeded in what you wanted and they got thrown out of power and that's why you have these hardliners in there now so you know i mean it, it sounds kind of intuitive but uh in fact loading up sanctions and increasing the suffering of people uh, is not necessarily going to be the way to actually support them and to, to what look yeah well look at the look at cuba right Cuba, um, when did Cuba start to liberalize um, uh, or, or, or when did some of these recent liberal reforms happen? It, it happened once Obama came in and he said, hey, you know, I'm going to actually try and have a rational, sensible relationship with this country instead of trying to destroy it constantly. Um, and that gave uh, the room in, in, in among Cuba's political leadership for them to, to, to respond to some of these liberalizing demands from the population. Because if you're under threat, I mean, think about just any country, any Western country in the post-war and terror environment, when you're under attack, basic rights and liberties start to get um, uh, uh, quashed because the people in power go, oh, Jesus Christ, we're under attack. We can't, we can't have all these freedoms. So when that attack, when that pressure lets off a little bit, there's, there's more potential um, for, for political leaders in these repressive countries to actually give uh, people you know, the, 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 these rights that they're asking for. Um, it sounds counterintuitive, but you know, if you if your job is to actually make life better for Iranians and not just to posture and, and preen and you know show how tough you are, then, Cut your then hair. you know this is the kind of thing you have to talk about. I think that's completely right. I think authoritarianism in 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 many cases is a response to that 
constant state of exception and like being consistently under attack and it do that does create a very fertile environment for authoritarianism and the kind of culture of political paranoia that we we see in a lot of um these places uh, it's interesting that you bring up cuba because i also think it is important to you know just remember our solidarity is with the people of iran um you know and um but there's no doubt about it that the west you know it will use any sort of political um instability to to you know push their own agenda and to interfere with uh, not for the 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 you know the people of Iran's well-being, but you know for for whatever um, in their interests, right? And I think like the history of Cuba is actually a really good place to look um, to see how you know genuine people people's revolt can be kind of um, used uh, as a pretext for the takeover of you know not transformative um, regimes, but um, similarly repressive just for you know toward other interests you know because like cuba had two revolutions i think we forget that cuba had two revolutions where they revolted against the spanish spanish colonialism and then immediately were put basically were taken over by the united states right and the u.s was very happy um you know to see the cubans revolt against their spanish colonial overlords because that created um you know pretext for them to take over and that you know and and then the cubans had to revolt once again they had, they had to have two revolutions uh which is very it's very it's you know like it, the history of cuba is astounding because just their like consistent um courage and um the fact that they overthrew two um colonial powers uh just is a testament to like just yeah how amazing um, the cuban people are but i think it's a very important history for us to understand when we are engaging in like such like issues like this yeah what do we think about um, the New Zealand government's, uh, what do you call it, failure to speak out uh, while there were uh, Instagram influencers uh, trapped in the country? Completely right. I mean, the, the main uh, thing you want to do there is to, to, there are a couple of New Zealanders in prison, you want to get them out, you want to get them home. Um, you know, uh, especially, I mean, look, I think it's important that they, are gonna or have condemned the government. I think that's the, that that is important. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's it's not gonna move the needle that much. And so, what's the what's the main thing to do here? If if your main priority is to to get Kiwis out, then you know a a, a statement that that is important. But yeah, I mean, it, it it was right, and then and they have condemned it now, and and you know it makes it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, just to be clear, I think they were completely right to to condemn the government, and I also am not saying that that now they should, as a response to what's going on around lift sanctions. I do think eventually, you know, New Zealand and, and other Western governments are going to have to think about whether these sanctions are the most rational policy for for actually you know securing liberty in Iran. Um, but but yeah, I think I think the statement is good. Um, hopefully we don't end up barreling into something stupid uh, over this. I think that might be us for the week, folks. How many trains did we have um, during the course that? Four? Five? <laughs> Somehow every single time I said anything, there was a train. There, <laughs> like there were one or two when someone else spoke. <laughs> that didn't come through. Fantastic. Um, Chicago, baby. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm going to edit those out, but just keep in mind, everyone, that Every time Branco spoke, a train uh, ran through in the middle of a diatribe. 
Um, that's what almost that's big what efficient and effective public transport system yeah. looks like, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that's right, this isn't is a it? very good point, Justine. This is a great point. You know, the minor inconvenience of a podcaster having to stop talking for 30 seconds every now and yeah. then is way outweighed by the fact that there is actually a pretty decent uh, train system in Chicago, unlike Auckland. So um, me yeah, being happy to edit is is my solidarity um, with with the you trains. Know, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs, and the eggs in this case are Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks so much for joining uh, me on the cast this morning, everyone. Hey, Hello. thanks for, for having us. Thank you. Peace out. If you've enjoyed it, uh, go and retweet. Um, Give us five stars. Leave a comment. If you're listening on the radio, fantastic. Um, Support uh, NPR, one or two people's radio. Um, They have heaps of great content throughout the rest of the day as well, not just late at night. Uh, So you can find them on their website. That's been us for another week of one of 200. We'll have more content for you in the next week maybe maybe some midweek content we'll see how i go otherwise have a good rest of your week and we'll catch you next time relentless routines the dying embers of your dreams is the lie aspirational will you die keeping your glass half full the relentless routines Dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism You don't hate